date night at the movies or how i spent my babysitter money i'm jess i'm jordan and this week we're talking aquaman Aquaman. this week we finally decided february is a really dry month so we have no choice but to go see aquaman (laughs) and thankfully it is a superhero movie and they happen to stay in theater the longest everything else barely lasts a month so exactly well you know this made like a billion dollars worldwide did it really yes it did holy moly yeah uh, it is the first DC movie since uh, The Dark Knight Rises to gross a billion dollars worldwide. Uh, Wonder Woman didn't, huh? Wonder Woman got really close, though. I think it got almost 900. That's amazing. Yeah. Interesting. Well, Jason Momoa has definitely made a very lovable star. Um, He's a charisma machine. He is a charisma machine and very smart casting, uh, considering his heritage and just watching the um his energy at the premieres and doing the haka made me appreciate him in the role a little bit more among the white person festival that this movie was (laughs) one thing i want to say is if you haven't gone on youtube and looked at him like leading the hakas at all the premiere at all the premieres, uh, definitely go watch those because it's really cool. And in the LA one, he has his kids do it with him. He had another one too. Did he? Mm-hmm. Well, but like in the LA one, because you watched the other one while I was driving home. Yeah. Uh, but in the LA one, they were all on the bus and he was teaching everybody or just kind of going over everything. And his kids were just in the back doing everything right along with him. It's almost like he got them to teach everybody else how to do the hot <laughs> yeah. looked like. Yeah, it was those. It was it was cool to watch. So I have a better perspective of him in the role but i've got a lot of thoughts I about say, i wouldn't say that this one is quite at there are thoughts level no 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 but i do have thoughts there about are, the other roles yeah there are thoughts to be shared about this movie as a whole yeah um real quick do some of our uh, normal uh, housekeeping normal housekeeping we don't have a dog of the podcast right now no we thought we lost Madison a little while ago. She was just in the backyard eating grass. <laughs> <laughs> She's a little cow. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, well, first things first, I suppose. What's the drink of the podcast? The drink of the podcast is just lager. Like, yes. Yeah. So we specifically went out and got lager because there's a really good scene between Aquaman and his father where they're just getting drunk in a bar together. Although that was dark beer. That was definitely like a Guinness or something like that. I specifically wanted lager and I didn't tell you this because that scene kind of reminded me of uh, Walter Mitty. Uh, oh, where, when, he, when he screams at the dog. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Where, where they're in the... Where, well, oh, it's around there, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, my yeah. favorite. It's after the bar scene when Kristen Wiig sings to him. Right. But one of my favorite parts is the helicopter <laughs> pilot screaming back at the husky that's barking. It made me laugh. But whenever I see like a coastal bar or something like that, and just like a bunch of like you know rough looking guys drinking there, that's where I immediately go. So because we didn't have boot shaped glasses, <laughs> uh, I figured we'd just get lager to kind of marry the two together. And Jess is gluten intolerant, so I'm having cider. So cheers to all of you who also can't ingest gluten or wheat or yeast. Now, sometimes Jess can drink like, you know, quote unquote normal beer, but we also went and had sushi before the movie and uh, we forgot to bring coconut aminos, which is a great soy sauce alternative. So she had some soy, which is made with wheat. And we were like, eh, let's not push it. Well, the soy sauce, soy isn't made from wheat. Oh. 
soy had wheat in it. It does, but it's the soy doesn't come from wheat. Soy comes from soy. Right, and I, I knew that, but soy sauce. Yeah, you said soy. Oh well, the f- uh, I'm going to sushi place. Soy to me just means soy sauce. <laughs> no, um, although, otherwise it's edamame. Although your story actually reminded me of one of my. My favorite coastal memory comes from our honeymoon. Mm-hmm. We were on uh, the big island in Grand Cayman. We were, well, the Grand Cayman. And we walked like like a mile down the seven-mile beach and mm-hmm. found our own place to swim for a couple hours. Walked back, and there was a little shack on the beach and had, uh, was he, mahi-mahi sandwiches. Uh-huh. Like fried mahi-mahi. It was grilled, I think. Was it grilled? Yeah, it was grilled, and it was just on a regular hamburger bun. Like, they might have just gone to the supermarket yeah, and picked up the buns there. Yeah, slaw. Uh-huh. And it was, it was like, blackened, like, it was spicy fish yeah. with, like, really creamy slaw, and we had red stripe. Mm-hmm. That, that's a good one. So that's, like, when I think of ocean and... And we're both, we're both absolute fishes. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that's what I think of. Well, I mostly thought of it because, like, you know, they made where Arthur's dad lived look a little colder because it was supposed to be like Maine, right? It was Maine. Yeah. So to me, it's like, oh, a bar on the coast in Maine. That reminds me of a bar on the coast in uh, in Greenland. You know? Yeah. I can totally buy that. Yeah. Just you saying that made me think of the other the other thing. Well, ain't that special? Ain't that special? Um. So, let's rate this movie. Yeah, so how, how do we want to rate it? I kind of want to do it in masks that are like... Ah. Jazz hand masks? Yeah. like I have a lot of thoughts about the costume design, especially on one of the IMDb things that I read about blah. it. But that's you guys can't see what I'm doing, but if you look at Patrick Wilson's character and the mask that he has on... In the very end. At the very end, and I saw that mask and I was like... You guys know how whenever somebody's being like really sarcastic and like, and remember, you gotta smile, and they kind of jazz hands out, but they hold it up next to their heads. It kind of looks like that. Yes. No, let's do it in tridents. All right. Yeah, that's safe enough. How many tridents? Your turn to go first. My turn. I'm gonna go pretty much right down the middle, and I'm gonna say three. Mm-hmm. I know three isn't the exact middle for us, but. I'll say two and a half tends to be, like, that's middle. Yeah, I mean, because we're doing it out of five, so mathematically, yes, you're right. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, you felt like you had to explain it, so I felt like (laughs) I had to explain it, too. I I assumed everybody understood what I meant by that. (laughs) But no, because it's not, like, exactly down the middle. I overall enjoyed this, Mm -hmm. but kind of like I said to you in the theaters, because before we leave, we we still don't talk about the movie, but we ask ourselves, like, what... We ask each other, what's the tone of this podcast going to be? So we know what we're getting into. Yes. And what I told Jess was, for everything that I thought was actually really cool and fun and enjoyable in this movie, there was something on the same subject where I'm just like, wow, that was bad. That's fair. Yeah. How about you? Um, I'll give it like a 2.753. Mm-hmm. Um, this didn't make... Um, I don't foresee this one making me angry like uh, the last Avengers did because mm-hmm. the Avengers made me it tricked me into being like oh feelings and it was like ah baloney ah bull roar yeah um and I can see the transparency in this movie um I can also 
one thing that Jordan said when we were walking into this, he goes, well, the good news is we both like the director and the director's James Wan. Now we did hate on another James Wan produced movie uh, here at DNATM, which was The Nun, but it was produced by James Wan. Well, really the only movie I've ever seen that James Wan did that was just like, I'm not into this at all was Insidious. I did not like Insidious. And we are actually in the minority on that. Insidious Insidious is seen as a pretty solid horror movie. And honestly, I want to revisit it sometime. I'm willing to revisit it. I, as a human being, I pride myself in being flexible and laid back. And such things as the movies that I hate, I'm really hard to change. And I really did not like that movie. What was it about Insidious that you didn't like? I just like? thought it was dumb and not scary. There were a couple of really cool scary moments in there. But the monster was no. The lipstick man? No. Um, man, my thing about Insidious is that... It, to me, it just felt like it took a long time to get its bearings. And by the time it did, I already wasn't. I was just like, I'm just not into this. No. What's the one that we do like? The Conjuring. No, I love The Conjuring. Right. I would do an entire podcast about The Conjuring. I love The Conjuring. I could do it right now from memory alone. No, no, no. The one with the mode over children that came oh, out around uh, the time. Sinister. Yes. So Insidious and Sinister came out around the same time. Insidious was 2010. Sinister was 2012. It's about the same time. Yeah. As far as like memory goes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't think, because we didn't see Insidious in the theaters. We saw it. And we saw it at home and we also saw Sinister at home. Yes. Too. And I believe we saw them close together. So I attribute them to close in time. Mm-hmm. Any hoozles. Uh, I think of Sinister as the better version of Insidious. I will agree with that. So that being said, um, going into this movie, talk knowing it was James Wan and feeling James Wan's stamp on this really helped me continue to like this movie. Mm -hmm. So I will say that, um, again, I thought casting wise, Jason Momoa was the absolute right casting. His dad, uh, the actor who played his dad, Mm -hmm. Tamara Morrison, amazing casting. Mm -hmm. Um, as far as I felt like the two of them were thoughtful, um, in their roles, and I thought, yeah. um, I thought that alone made me like it, as opposed to when I think of where Marvel is right now, and what's really annoying me is but way back in the day when we were first seeing like Iron Man and seeing all these individual Avengers, they had their own flavor and feel and texture to them. Now it's all this like wash mm-hmm. of superhero ness, and. Um, I can't speak for all of DC, but because um, everything kind of is like dark and stormy night uh, with DC. But I did appreciate that Wonder Woman was allowed to be Wonder Woman, that she mm-hmm. ha- was the total embodiment of strength and aw- awesomeness while still being allowed to be female and feminine. Um, and a lot that comes inherently with our double X chromosome. Um, and I felt in a way they let, they tried to leave Aquaman as the bridge between land and sea. Yeah. I think they lost their way. I think they did a little bit. Thusly not the stronger than a three. I will say that out of the post Christopher Nolan DC movies. But I don't even consider them DC. I Uh, know they are. It's Batman. I know that. If we're talking technicality, yeah, but 
outside of those, um, Wonder Woman and Aquaman, I think, are the stronger movies. Yeah, I can see um, that. I am definitely in the minority on Batman v Superman. I didn't hate it. I wouldn't <laughs> say that I love it, but I've rewatched it again, and like, there's there's stuff to like about that movie. I do still need to see that. Um, I can't imagine you remotely like <laughs> I. For those of you who may be new to the podcast, and for those of you who are returning, just, ever, just press that forward thirty button. Ever on, so, on here, so, you're ever so thank you for your subscription and listening. We love you, but you're gonna hear me real quick. I'm gonna give you like a ten second rant. All right, I'm gonna time you. Okay, and go. I'm just really exhausted by superhero movies because it just. I'm really tired of seeing impenetrable people on TV and film. 10 seconds. Boom, baby. There we go. Listen, if I know anything in this world, it's timing. You know when to hit your mark. Yes. Uh, oh, actually, I'm very good at that. Yeah. Now, one thought that I had in this movie, because, you know, you talk about, like, the fact that it was James Wan and there were things in there. Like, you know, there was the James Wan shot in there. Uh, Where was it? It was, it was in the first fight in the submarine. Oh, the pivot? Mm-hmm. I missed it in the pivot. Um, but can you imagine how much of a mess this movie would have been if it wasn't directed by James Wan? I really can't. I, I can't imagine because it was already a mess. Yeah. Because you've got... They made such a big deal about uh, Manta Ray, um, which they call him Black Manta. And I was like, you called him Ray. His name was Ray. No. Mm-hmm. Makes me mad. It's manta ray. So anyway, what made it's like they were they built this manta ray dude up as a big deal, and then made the enemy someone else. And I was like, do what? There, there. This movie suffered from a glut of enemies. Um, normally, yes. superhero movies suffer from a glut of heroes. This movie suffers from a glut of. Enemies. I don't know. Avengers has been feeling it. Well, not necessarily. I mean, in the last Avengers, it was Thanos, 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 Thanos. That's true. Yeah. Although I still don't think he gave a total whim-wham about Green Girl. Uh, We're going to disagree on that, (laughs) but we're not going to subject everybody to this argument again. No, because Endgame comes out soon. I I know. I'm equally looking (laughs) forward to that and not looking forward to recording that episode with you. I'm going to be honest. I love you, and I love talking movies with you. I am not looking forward to talking Avengers well, with Well, we you. might have to do a two-part on Endgame, because I'll probably leave it being like, yeah! And the next day I'll be like, no, no, I need to retract some statements. If we do that, you are not allowed to keep bringing it up, and every time I bring up something about a superhero movie that I like, you have to let it go. Deal. So you have to, you have to decide what's more important to you there. <laughs> <laughs> and I will let the decision be yours. TBD. So, um, but yes, there was a glutton of villains. I mean, it was bad guy, bad guy, like everybody. And, but then, but really there was only one bad guy and he was getting everybody else on his side. And then I felt like a lot of people died for this cause that had no effect. Like we were, they were killing people we as an audience didn't know and therefore had no relationship with. Yeah. So I was just like, wow, killing off fish, aren't we? Yeah, this this movie definitely isn't a movie with consequence. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. Like, like I said, if James Wan didn't direct this movie, and this doesn't feel like a traditional a traditionally James Wan movie. Of course, you mostly associate him with horror. 
Yes, but I will say, for example, on the rooftop, the rooftop chasing, mm-hmm. the camera work, of course, was is any camera work is the mark of a very good DP, director for photo- director of photography right. for our non film friends. Um, the rooftop scene where the camera, what what James Wan is so great about storytelling is he's in generally, and this is why I think it was a more successful superhero movie is it gave you scope of the world around you. It wasn't insular. Oh, totally. Which if you've listened to any of our podcasts probably in the last month, we talk about it. We talk about this alone a great deal, about how you can feel like this movie is trapped in its own little special little special world that's going to stay there forever. Yeah. This movie had some scope, and it is was, was a great deal... Uh, of effect from the camera work. In the chase scene, the camera would go over something to catch our heroes again. It wasn't just running with them. Right. It felt very Bond-like. And that's the thing about James Wan, uh, and this is where I talk about how it would have been a mess if he hadn't done it, is because the camera work was engaging the whole way. Yeah, totally. And, you know, he had a real... I didn't catch the DP's name. um, Yeah, I didn't either. I didn't bring my phone with me. But, um... You know, and again, obviously, it takes a great DP to pull that off. And it's not fair to always be like, oh, the camera's great. The director's fantastic. But, like, you can obviously tell that he was like, no, this is the style that I want. And this is the vision that I have. And I'm trusting you to make that happen. Yeah. So, like, in that first fight scene with Nicole Kidman, how the camera was just going all over the place. I loved that. And actually, I've already, like texted a lot of my stunt friends i'm like y'all i know our next thing we're filming um after the short than this i have a really exciting idea um i totally agree i thought the camera work was excellent um i thought that one did bring a level of focus Uh to this movie um, and that's what i mean by it being such a mess if he didn't do it i i i do totally agree with you yeah Here's something I also thought about, this is a positive for superhero movies, kind of in general, but this kind of goes for very successful action films. And I'm thinking James Bond, I'm thinking, uh, I'm thinking Indiana Jones. Um, What I'm thinking about right now is how cool it is for the really, really big budget films Uh that they take us to places on our world that are really exciting. And maybe that's why I'm frustrated with Marvel right now. It's all dealing with something that's not precious to me as a, a, you know, a citizen of the planet Earth. Uh And I really love about these big budget action films is there are places in this movie that were, I knew were real. Yeah, like the whole the whole uh, section in Sicily. Yeah, yeah, that and then whenever they discover where the trident is, that kind of like underground layer, mm-hmm. that's real. Yeah, that exists somewhere. That wasn't a CGI world. No, that was a practical set. And it was, it I it just I thought it was cool for a. It felt like I got transported. Mm-hmm. Into something that I can be attached to. Yeah. And I liked that. It wasn't New York. It wasn't Metropolis. It -hmm. was Maine. Yeah. It was beautiful places. It was, you know, it was, yes, the, and it's the underwater part that I got pulled out of. Yeah, that was a little Lisa Frank, you know. (laughs) Yes, but the, whenever the, and I think this movie was 
benefited by a great deal happening on something that we as humans can connect to. And I just really love that big budget movies have the budget to do that. Yeah. And I just think that I thought that was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really hadn't thought that in a while. But, you know, when you watch, like watching a James Bond, you're going to places that are, you're like, I've never even dreamt of something like this. And those are practical and they're insane to watch. Well, that, and that's what they talk about a lot on the James Bonding podcast. Uh-huh. Is they're like, yeah, James Bond movies are basically travelogues. Yeah, and it's it makes me excited as a person. Mm-hmm. Makes me excited to have you know the travel credit card that I have that's as exorbitantly high interest, but we put a lot on it because we want points. Yeah, it makes me excited to be in our world, and I'm really excited that this movie chose to do that Mm -hmm. especially in a sea of cgi right yeah like and oh did you hear my pun i did (gasps) on accident yes okay that's why i didn't say anything because i was like i'm just gonna let that happen naturally (laughs) no and i liked how they paced that out too because because like you know what right around the time when you're feeling like okay this is too much watching cgi too much cgi then they'll take you to the sahara then it'll go back underwater for a long time and it's like okay now we're in sicily and then it'll go back underwater for a long time then it's like oh now we're in this in the place at the center of the earth you know oh i did like that place yeah so so there's a lot to be said about what this movie does right but like i said Every for everything that I'm like, oh, this was really good. There's something almost on the same subject that I can be like, oh, that was that was rough. Understood. So because we designed the beginning of the the first part of the podcast to be designed so that you can listen to it on the way to the theater. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening to us on the way to the theater, I think you should be excited to go see this. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a fun movie. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I want us to talk about for before we go on break and get into probably slam territory. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one, Jason Momoa's abs, really great. Mm-hmm. Two, the score. The score was actually pretty good. I, so I tend to get lost in action. James Bond notwithstanding, the James Bond films, the scores really stick to my ribs. Mm -hmm. Kind of like with the last Mission Impossible movie. Oh, it just like sticks to you. Yeah. Um, But I can't think of a single other um, score other than Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman, when she, that first time where you hear her theme and she's fighting the the Germans in the bell tower. Mm Mm-hmm. The, when that guitar sets in and she's about to like take this guy's legs out because she's like being a total goddess. Yeah. Um, holy moly, I lose my crap. So. Well, and that's something that uh, actually comes directly from uh, from Batman v Superman because that guitar Wonder Woman theme that's a Hans Zimmer thing. Uh, I love in um, score. The, uh, we talked about this documentary before. By the way, this was done, the score of this was done by Rupert Gregson Williams, who also did score. Wonder Woman. Oh no way! Yeah. Well, um, what I love about then score, they mm-hmm. were talking about Hans Zimmer being kind of like the rock and roll, like the rebel of the composer world. I think that's hilarious. Yeah. Because when you look at him, you're like, yeah, rebel. <laughs> No, he is a he is a genuine. He's probably the first like first person who's known as a film composer to reach rock star level status. That's cool. Like John Williams is 
John Williams. That's kind of like comparing the Beatles to Steppenwolf, you know? Right, but but John Williams is known... John, he, you you mentioned John Williams's name because you want to add prestige to whatever it is well, that you're saying. Well, even so, what I so what I was going to say I'm is, uh, to me, when you hear John Williams, you hear what's traditionally a, what composing is. You hear orchestral, you hear melody. Mm-hmm. You that's he is he's you know the modern contemporary. He like wrote the book on composing. Yeah, there's no guitar. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't see Batman v Superman, but I feel like Wonder Woman probably did it better anyway. Well, honestly, and that's that's something that even the super haters of Batman v Superman agree, is that once Wonder Woman steps in, it's like, oh, okay, this is getting good now. <laughs> um, um. But the score on this was really lovely. And um, at one point I said, hey, was this James Wan's usual composer? You said no. Right. And the part that I really stuck out to me was actually from his composer from The Conjuring. Yeah, when they're actually going down to the trench. Yes, and I I knew who that was. Well, and that's the thing. So the composer from The Conjuring, Joe Joe Bashara or Joseph Bashara, um, he worked with James Wan on all three Insidious movies, both Conjuring movies, uh, I believe both Annabelle movies as well. He didn't do the Nun. So, no. Oh, the nun makes me think of that MSTK. Yeah. I want to know what movie yeah. the composer <laughs> thought he was. On the most <laughs> recent season of Mystery Science Theater on Netflix, uh, I was watching Mac and Me because you know I remember watching Mac and Me as a kid, and and like just being like, oh, this is just one of those movies that's on, and then being older, and I'm like, oh, this is known as one of the worst movies, and I rewatched and was like, oh, this is bad. <laughs> but uh, the, the music to it was surprisingly good, and there's a joke in there where they say, where like the movie's going and the music's going, and they're like, man, I want to see the movie the composer thought he was working on. So funny. And it turns out it was Alan Silvestri, too. It's so funny. But um, um, anyway. So, so back to Rewinding. Yeah. Yes. So, um, if you go, if you stay through the credits and you see all the song credits, you know they talk about like you know they they have "She's a Mystery to Me" by Roy Orbison, which I really like how they use that. Uh, it's whenever they were in Sicily and like uh, Mira and Arthur were starting to warm to each other a little bit, and then they play that Roy Orbison song in there. It, it actually worked very well. But yeah, at, at the very end, it just says trench sequence composed by Joseph Bashara. So I thought that was cool that James Wan was just like, "Hey, I usually work with you." I'm assuming that uh, Warner and DC were just like, "Hey, you need to work with one of these guys on this movie." Right. Uh, and your and Joseph Bashara, he doesn't typically work on action movies because right. what he does is he does like orchestral soundscapes, basically very similar to like what you'd find on like the soundtrack to MST or not MST three K two thousand one. Yes. Um, so I liked how he was just like, but I want to find something for you to do. So I really liked and that. And it was totally right. Yeah. And James Wan, he goes, he tends to go stick with composers for a while and then move to somebody else. So like his first movie is like, like the original Saw, which is still the only good Saw movie. And I will stand by the first Saw movie anytime. Sure. Um, but like Saw, uh, and then he did um, 
he did Dead Silence and the remake of Death Wish. I can't remember what it was called. Yeah. Death Sentence. But that was all done with by Charlie Clauser. Who Charlie Clauser? He does like you know he did all of the Saw movies even after James Wan and then a lot of other horror stuff. But he was actually one of the original keyboard players in Nine Inch Nails. Oh, rad. Um, and then after that, he when he started doing like Insidious and you know onto the Conjuring and everything, he started working with Joseph Bashara, uh, who did these like great you know, orchestral clusters and soundscapes and really disturbing music. And it's perfect, you know? Mm -hmm. And then he did uh, Furious 7, which he did with Brian Tyler. And that's just because Brian Tyler was really hot at the time. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, he's a really good composer. Uh, I have nothing bad to say about him. Right. Um, And then... And then now he's gone. He's gone with Rupert Gregson Williams again. I'm assuming because they were like, well, he did Wonder Woman. We want him to do this one as well. Well, that means he probably has a Marvel. Oh, not the Marvel, the DC stamp. Yeah. Well, and like, which I don't blame people because those really. I mean, you've walked into things that are already established. Yeah. And you lose if you're not the person who came up with that fat sound or feel. You do lose a little bit of yourself, and if you've again, if you've been listening to this podcast, we really give a lot of credit for composers who jump in to a well-known category but are still able to kind of like breathe their own stamp into that because that is hard. Yeah. It is hard to do. So I can totally, it always makes sense to me, somebody who already has like a stamp on a brand, Mm -hmm. You know, you can't ever get mad at that. But it was really cool that Bashara had that Trent sequence because I immediately was like, I know who this is. Yeah, and, and that was, like, that whole sequence from the time when they were up to the boat to the time whenever they, like, were rescued. And we won't get too much into that right now. Right. But that was shot like a horror movie. Oh, it was terrifying. Yeah, it, it was it was great. And that's where, I like, and again, I know it's not fair to just be like, oh, well, James Wan just needs to stick to horror, even though he's probably the smartest horror director out there right now. Agreed. But, but like, to me, that's where I was like, okay, I know what I'm watching now, and I like this. Well, and the thing about horror is that it is, although the one of the cheapest mediums, mm-hmm. it is... That and comedy are extremely hard to shoot. Yeah, I mean, because it's all about timing. It's all about timing um, and having directed a horror comedy. um, It's not only about timing, but it is also any bad choice that you make immediately sucks the audience right out of the moment and all of your hard work is gone. Mm -hmm. And in an action movie, you get a lot more forgiveness because you have all these fights... And what and what James Wan is really good good about doing, and this maybe comes from the horror background, is he keeps the ball in the air, um, and he doesn't allow the moments to drop, which is a really bad sickness in movies right now. Right. Um, I still don't. It the movie didn't quite earn some moments, no. um, but overall, I felt like the ball stayed in stayed inflated, mm-hmm. um, and enough for me to like not nap. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. I think we're about to get to the point where we need to t- we're going to be talking about some things that we didn't like. I don't even think there's going to be a whole lot of like spoileriness in this episode. Um. Well, I think well ap- there yeah. there will be plot points, and there like there are a couple of things I'll mention that are later in the movie that I want to wait till after the break for. But I think really like if we're going to talk about the things we weren't crazy about, we should probably wait till after the break. So having said that, 
Should we go on ahead and take a break? I think we should. So if you're heading on to the movie, make sure you get lots of good snacks. Remember, movie theaters are always cold, so make sure you that you bundle up. Mm-hmm. And whoever you're going to the movies with, hello, have an amazing time. Um, if you are platonic, you don't have to hold hands. But if you aren't, I suggest holding hands. And with that being said, we'll see you after the break. Have you ever looked at all those Insta celebrities and been like, where do you get your raw jewelry because it's gorgeous? Or where did you get that female empowerment shirt because I need one? But then you think to yourself, I don't wanna go shopping because it's too selfish. What if I could tell you, you could get awesome apparel, awesome jewelry, and it gives back. You need to check out Rocks Jewelry Shop. That's right, Rocks, R-O-X. Rocks Jewelry Shop has amazing jewelry, and I just got a shirt that says, those females are strong as hell. Thank you, Kimmy Schmidt. You can check out Rocks Jewelry Shop online, and with code Date Night, you'll get 15% off. So head on over to Rocks, R-O-X, JewelryShop.com, code Date Night for 15% off. And welcome back to Date Night at the Movies, where we're talking Aquaman. This time we decided to have Jordan bring us back in because I noticed whenever I'm editing, it's always weird to have Jessica do the commercial and then Jessica to bring us back in. (laughs) So like for me, I'm like, I've got to space out that timing perfectly, but the music also only lasts for so long. That's fair. So I don't know. Maybe we just stumbled on a new format. Maybe. Um, Friendly update. Still no dog of the podcast. I hear them up there. I don't think they're just raring to come down. No, they got new bones. Uh-huh. I gave them the new bones. You did give them the new bones. They love them. I'm glad. They just love them. So we're talking, now we're talking about some things that didn't really work for us. Um, yes. First thing I want to bring up is I did not overall like the costume design in this movie. No. Now, here's one thing that I saw, and of course, this is on IMDb, and whenever I'm like looking up facts about movies, and we've talked about this before, I usually go to IMDb and Wikipedia because they're the quickest to go to. And for the most part, you can tell the stuff that's not legitimate from the stuff that's legitimate. But, you know, we t- all take it with a grain of salt. Apparently, one of the pieces of IMDb trivia on here, uh, and whenever I'm IMDbing stuff as well, especially on superhero movies, I don't have the patience to sit through every one because it's always like, this shot right here was a reference to this issue of this comic book, and then this character was brought in there to bridge the... And, <laughs> and I'm you're just, like, my, don't care. My eyes just glaze over, you know? <laughs> but uh, it was like, you know, the costume designer wanted to make the underwater costumes look like wetsuits. She was inspired by wetsuits. And I'm just like... You can't be inspired by wetsuits. A, it's a superhero movie. Most superhero costumes look pretty similar to wetsuits they, anyway. They look that look well, that was bat he was wearing Batman's wetsuit. Like Yeah. What the heck? Yeah. Really? It, I'm inspired by wetsuits. I own one. Is mm-hmm. that good enough? Yeah, I like it's like maybe you should have Maybe you should have been like, wetsuits, yeah, and smoke some weed to see where else that took you. <laughs> right. I feel like there should be further information other than wetsuits honestly this just felt like the little mermaid on crack yeah it felt like the little mermaid with legs yeah um and there still were mermaids in here exactly but like amber heard's costume like first of all nicole kidman's costume i actually liked it looked like a warrior suit yeah amber heard's girlfriend got lucky her tatas didn't come out yeah well and that's the thing it's like 
especially because we saw Nicole Kidman's and like you know like it basically covered her from her neck to her feet an actual wetsuit yeah and it was like scales and stuff too it was cool yeah it was it was really cool kind of the better costumes in this movie reminded me of from the God of War series oh okay um, and what and Nicole Kidman's did but Amber Heard's it's like okay well we saw that one it looks pretty classy and it's like all right I'm on board and Amber Heard comes out and it's just like boobs <laughs> yeah I will say my favorite part of the movie was Jason Moe is like getting all close to Amber Heard and Jordan goes be careful that's poison ivy yeah. <laughs> from a certain shot she looked exactly like the Uma Thurman poison ivy yeah and you said it and I guffawed <laughs> um, we were not in an empty theater by the way no um yeah I I agree with you and um I felt like Amber Heard was sexualized mm-hmm. and in a very non-sexual movie. And I knew that... What was her character's name? Uh, Mira. Mira. I knew that Mira and Arthur were going to get together, right? Right. It's like... That's just the way these movies work. It's a Hollywood movie. Not shocking. One, it didn't need to. That We know there's going to be another one. So why the heck did we need that? Right. And then... Because there's time. You know, why don't we let the relationship develop, heaven forbid. But then I just was immediately bothered because with two women in the whole movie, two, everyone, two. 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 One is a warrior princess, warrior queen, Mm -hmm. and the other one is... A sea witch. A sea witch. When she is equally as powerful and strong, and we... Because we see Nicole Kidman's character be a total strong arm Mm -hmm. so is Amber Heard's character and yet she's got a a, like a I mean she's like um Bond girl status yeah they they treated her like the like the best Bond girls get treated which is which is like she's still holding her own but you're still just waiting for them to get it on Right, and that's such a bummer because this is really hard to censor myself. By the way, too, I honestly oh. I just don't want to edit this one too much. But like, <laughs> I I don't know if you guys could hear me, but I had to stop myself from saying what I wanted to say. Yeah, uh, yes, yeah, I I agree, and that's it's such it's such a bummer because that character could have been that strong, and they're. They're falling for each other and falling in love in the middle of like V Day. Yeah, he's he's or I should, should say D Day. It was like literally Normandy Beach behind them. They're literally kissing, and he is literally grabbing her butt. Yes, and like which is a, supportive of. Yeah, you know, and you know, if that's what you're directed to do, you go all into it. Well, when you love somebody, you're allowed to touch the butt. That is true. Consent, please. Yes. But when you love somebody, you can touch the butt. That's why we, girls and boys, that's why squats are in there because it makes it more enticing to touch the butt with consent. Am I editing this out or are we just leaving that in? There? Oh, no, we're leaving that in. Okay. It's my local PSA. All right. Squats, everybody. I mean, I was going to leave all the consent stuff in. But, <laughs> <laughs> but that being said, yeah. yes, he's allowed to touch the butt. But However, the- in the middle of a war. It's like, read the room. Yes. <laughs> like, you're seeing sharks get killed behind them. You're watching literally people die behind them. Here's the way that I would put it. So... The very end of the first Jaws, which I'm wearing my Jaws shirt right you now. You are. I am. I love this shirt. <laughs> uh, I love wearing it to the beach, too. Um, 
But very end of Jaws, the shark jumps up on the boat and bites Robert Shaw and he spits up blood. You're not exactly being like, yeah, I'm about to get some during that point <laughs> of the movie, right? Correct. So in the background of this, sharks are eating humans and humanoids <laughs> left and right. And they're just like, yeah, I'm about to get some. It's like, it's like the end of Jaws times four, but not Jaws four because it's not that personal. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> um, Why didn't I say that? I feel so stupid. <laughs> that, that was directed specifically to see if I could get you to laugh away from the microphone. And I did, everybody. Um, Although her running to her daddy and being like, Dad, this is ridiculous. We got to stop fighting. And during Dolph, the- Dolph Lundgren is just immediately like, yes, I will stop now. I'm telling you, it is the little mermaid. Mm-hmm. She has red hair. Ariel goes up to her dad and she's like, Dad, stop it. And it takes until the battle for him, for King Triton, to stop it. Yeah. Um, they stole from the Little Mermaid. Yeah. Can I talk about a couple of cat? I want to talk about casting real quick. I'd love to. Should I talk about the interesting casting or the casting I'm not crazy about? Talk about the interesting first. Okay. So... A lot, because a lot of this movie is CGI. A lot of it is CGI. I want to talk about some interesting casting choices. We already mentioned Dolph Lundgren. Did we? Well, just now. Oh, too. That J- Dolph Lundgren is in it. Uh, it's nice to see them allow Dolph Lundgren to play an intelligent person. Because yeah. dude, dude is like a nuclear physicist in real life. I know. Um, and he always gets stuck playing uh, Ivan Drago and everything. Right. Well, to a point where Jordan goes, is that Dolph Lundgren? I said... No, he's speaking. It couldn't possibly. Not because Dolph Lundgren can't speak. It's because he's usually like Mongo. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, but he was great. Yeah. No. It was, it was uh, agreed. It was nice to see Dolph Lundgren not be Dolph Lundgren. Yeah. Um, let's see. The Mermaid King who Patrick Wilson kills. Orm. Uh, yeah, but the Mermaid King, uh, Rico, however they say it, we're about, we're going to get into the plot and it's going to get crazy, guys. Well, at this point, if you've gotten to this point in the podcast, you've either, either seen the movie or you're just wanting to know our weird thoughts on this. Right. Um, so, by the way, I don't, we, there's going to be spoilers, right? There's always spoilers in this part of the podcast. Right. That being said, I feel like this movie could be spoiled for you. In a way, you know the like everything that happened is not shocking to me. Yeah, you know if you're gonna enjoy it or not. Yes, and like I knew that it was gonna lead up to a huge Lord of the Rings style battle at the end of it. Totally, I I thought that was still one of the better parts of the movie. I agree. However, this battle felt more like Hobbit. I would say it's better than the Hobbit. It's better than the Hobbit, but it's the CGI like throw up marshmallow that is the Hobbit. Return of the King got there too. Touche. Yeah. But there was also, here's what I will say about that. That was a lot of motion capture. Mm-hmm. Those battles were motion capture and live action. Mm-hmm. You can tell the difference. Right. Anywho. It's, anywho. So the king, uh, that's played by uh, Jimon Honsu. Uh, sure. I can, ne- I can never say his name right, but he's... Which king? Uh, the fisher, the mermaid king, who I was literally just talking about before we got right, on the young one? No, no, not the daughter who got manipulated into taking a side. Right, and her daddy was killed. Yeah, the daddy who was killed. Yeah. Yeah, that was Jimon Honsu. Oh. Who, uh, most people will recognize him from uh, Gladiator. 
where he played Russell Crowe's BFF. Yes. Uh, he was also in Blood Diamond, and he was yes. also in Guardians of the Galaxy. He's wonderful. He's but awesome. I mean, he was so CGI'd you didn't know it was him. Right. But it was a great role. And even though I didn't know who the crap that character was in uh-huh. the scheme of this world, uh-huh. When this um, character gets killed, I literally was like, wow, because it was a really like granted the the role had maybe 10 lines. Mm -hmm. So but it was really well done. I agreed. It was well performed. Um, The cargo pilot was played by Lee Wanell, who was James Wan's original collaborator. Like he wrote Saw. Cool. Uh, and he played the the character cool. in Saw, and you know he's he's actually he's a pretty successful director on his own now. That's cool. Um, he's actually going to be doing a remake of Escape of Escape to New York or Escape from mm. New York, which I'm not sure how I feel about that, but I'm willing Did to. Did Kurt Russell in it? Uh, no, th- for a while they were talking about having The Rock do it, but then they were also no. were talking about having The Rock do a remake of Big Trouble in Little China. So I think they're just trying to find ways for The Rock to remake Kurt Russell. Um, I can see The Rock more in Big Trouble Little China mm-hmm. than Escape from New York. Escape from New York, he has way too, not that Kurt Russell doesn't, but he has way too much charisma. Yeah. Kurt Russell is not likable in that movie. Yeah, you need to have somebody not likable. Yes, and you can't, like, can you not like The Rock? Mm, no. Yeah, and Kurt Russell's very likable. By the way, very handsome in person. Mm-hmm. You saw him in like what was it like a Whole Foods parking lot? Or something no, like that? Buffalo Exchange, everyone. Ah, um, shout out to Buffalo Exchange because um, we just did a mass exodus of clothes. Um, let's see the uh, the Crab King at the end of the yeah. movie. Oh yes, voiced by John Reese Davis. Really? Yeah, or Davies. Davies I'm sorry. Uh, this is the one... Speaking of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, this is the one that I think is going to blow you away. I'm ready, I'm sitting down. The Leviathan monster who was guarding the uh, trident? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Julie Andrews. No! Yeah. No! Yeah. I'm blown away. <laughs> no! Yeah. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fun. Um, so they got... Okay, here's something I would love to really touch on. Let's take the coolest casting. Mm-hmm. Everything else is like, nah, it's fine, right? Well, I have some casting gripes that I have later yes. on. Yeah. Yes, this, this is a good segue into probably your thoughts. Okay. Let's take, okay, so everybody we recognize is like, okay, fine, mm-hmm. okay. Let's take the coolest casting. We're going to cover them in so much CGI. <laughs> you're not going to be able to tell who it is. So they took the coolest people, mm-hmm. and they're like, "But you, we don't want you to see them." But here's what I will say: uh-huh. I'm that, like, because they did that, we got a very nice surprise by finding out who they were. Agreed, but wouldn't it have been grand? You know, wouldn't it have been grand to really recognize some of them? Now, Julie Andrews, that still would have been like a holy wow yeah. moment. Here's the way that I see that. Mm-hmm. You remember a few years ago, whenever it was really in vogue to have white people play Egyptians in movies? Oh, is that not the same? Well, I mean, they haven't made any Egyptian movies since then. <laughs> uh, Assassin's Creed Origins doesn't count. Um, <laughs> well, the, the Aladdin movie almost did it. It's we're, wh- we're we're just gonna skim past the Aladdin. Uh, this movie is right now. this is all, all I'm saying is is it a, is it a past problem? So, but like, there, but there was a couple years ago where that happened. Literally, like two movies in a row. Fair enough. Okay. One of them was uh, Exodus, which was Ridley Scott. Yeah. Where Christian Bale played Moses. Yeah. Ooh. 
Uh, he played bark, a, bark, 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 yeah. bark. He played a warrior Moses. <laughs> bark, bark, bark. Um, and then they had Gods of Egypt, which was done by Alex Proyas. Yes. Which surprised me so much because Alex Proyas did Dark City, which is yes. one of my favorite sci-fi movies. Yes, you love Dark City. But again, uh, if you are on Twitter, please do yourself a favor and go follow Racism Watchdog. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow, 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 wow. Uh, anyway, <laughs> but like, I remember there's a moment in the trailer where like, you know, it's this soaring eagle and then he like lands down and he turns into, he turns into like one of the gods and it's Jamie Lannister from uh, Game of Thrones. Yes. And so, like, racism aside, that <laughs> re- that revealed to be like, and here's the star that you like. I have a feeling that if they would have had those people not coded in CGI, that's the way it would have felt. You know, that's fair. Like in a lesser director's hands, Julie Andrews after after he grabbed the trident would have turned from the creature into like Julie Andrews, like, and now you've revealed my true form. Yes. Yeah. Oh, we have a dog of the podcast. We have a Madison. Hi, Mads. Uh-oh. She's getting in Jessica's lap because Jessica's in the Madison chair right come on. now. Hup. Do you want to come up here? Don't hit. I'm going to. Oh. You're going to hear bumps and I'm not going to edit them out. <laughs> this is a, This is what it sounds like to have a pibble come in. <laughs> Her face is literally in the microphone right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's squished. I'm going to go help move Jessica's microphone real quick. <laughs> Uh, we're having a family moment at the moment. <laughs> Hi, Lou. Uh, so uh, this will be an Instagram post. So just a um, complete different segue. Um, so they had recently had like the rescue um, kind of mission, um, and here at Date Night of the Movies, we're big uh, supporters of Adopt Don't Shop. And uh, we, so here in the studio tonight, we have um, an American staffy American bulldog mix. She's gray and white. She's very short and has a pink belly. Um, she often sounds and moves like a little pig. Um, she is named Madison Lou is her full name, and her nickname is the Picopotamus. So that being said... Let's get back into Aquaman. All right, so the casting that I was not crazy about. One of them is not going to be a surprise, and one of them might be. I'm listening. One that's not a surprise, Amber Heard was miscast. Yeah, I... Amber Heard does not have... I've never seen her speak with authority to be able to command an army. What and else I didn't... is she known for? Uh, besides the whole Johnny Depp fiasco? Johnny Depp fiasco. Uh, they were married, then they got a divorce, and he she accused him of physical assault and. Oh, that was her. Yeah, that was her. But okay, so but like acting wise. Yeah. And again, <laughs> I, I say all that not to be like Amber Heard's ruining Johnny Depp's career. That's not what I meant by any of that. No, no, no. I I didn't take it as le- that uh, as least. But w- well, that can come off that way in a podcast situation like this. So oh. I don't I don't want anybody to think that I am. Uh, I am like, you know, not believing the woman because that's not the stance that I take. Um, what I will, the reason that I'm asking that, babe, is because you were saying she's not known for taking control, like of a room and being able to deliver. I don't know who the heyday she is. Well, so she was in, she was in Justice League, go figure, because she's playing the same character. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't see that, so. Yeah. Uh, she was in that? Yeah, Danish girl. <laughs> um, I know it just sounds like you were like Danish girl number three instead of 
yeah. the movie, I immediately thought somebody. She did. was the lead in The Ward, which was the last feature film John Carpenter uh, directed. Okay, I didn't see that. Uh, she was uh, 406 in the in Zombieland. Uh, in the beginning of the first Zombieland movie, when his neighbor from across the hall com- comes in, and then like he has a crush on her, and it turns out she was bitten by a zombie. Yes. Uh, she was in Pineapple Express. She was Seth Rogen's uh, underage girlfriend. Oh, my heavens. Yes. Um, so, okay, moral was, of the story. Yeah. Not Amazon. She, she's not Xena. No. And I mean, like... And she didn't have to be. No, but like I just didn't believe it. I I thought I just thought that she was miscast. Um, Her tatas did look very nice in that suit. I'm gonna let you say that. Um, I agree. I over, but there were moments that were really good, like when she commands the power of the wine bottles. Uh-huh. Which I did like that moment. Yeah. I thought that was cool. And um, I also loved moments of her discovery. Yeah. Like, because she has this capability of commanding water. And what I thought was really cool is that, and I don't know, I'm hope, I can kind of get the sense that James Wan directed her in this manner, but she discovers water. She treats, the way that she uses her hands is in a great deal of care and understanding and discovery of like, water around her yeah and so i will give credit where credit is due um but there was there was a lack of um in general grounding of her but i did think there was a lot of she had this ability for something she treated things as if they were fine and precious and that also made i felt make her made her different and what i did like that yeah um yeah, I don't know who I would have rather seen in that role. I can't think of anybody right off yeah, the top of my head. Yeah, I don't know. And yeah, I, I don't mean, know. and maybe maybe it's just kind of a thankless role too. Well, the, it's she's certainly not written better. Yeah, that's that's the other problem, and the other problem too. And you know, I don't know these comic books very well, but you're she's also a woman in a sea of six pack men. Yeah, you know, and. She when her costume immediately demeans her, and mm-hmm. takes and makes her seem less commanding. Yeah, like Wonder Woman's costume, even though like it's a very sexy costume, to me that doesn't like demean her. Well, and you also you, they give you context for Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. So when you go um, to Wonder Woman Land, um, when you go to the island. All the women are dressed that way. Yeah. And you see all of them battle like that. They're battling, and their armor reminds me very of like gladiator, Roman-esque style. Mm -hmm. And these women are bat like you get to see a bunch of these women battling in the same garb. So it makes her seem less special, Right. right? You're seeing all these other her tribe you're seeing these tribal obviously strong deadly women dress like that so you immediately start being it makes you lose the ooh sexy it's the same in a bond movie she walks out in a bathing suit well of course she's a sex magnet because she's the only one wearing that yeah you know um so the other casting i did not like 
I thought Patrick Wilson was miscast. I did too. Yeah. And I love Patrick Wilson. Yeah, I mean, Patrick Wilson gets a lot of love on this podcast. Oh, I... And I like the idea that James Wan was like, well, yeah, of course I'm going to use Patrick Wilson in this. Of course. And I love Patrick Wilson. Yeah. And I and I think he's a sexy beast. Mm-hmm. I, I just... I also was like, he's Jason Momoa's little brother. Well, and that's the thing, because we've seen Patrick Wilson evolve from, like, from, like playing early 30-somethings to, like, being dads now. And now he gets cast as dads. And, like, he's, like, in the Conjuring movies, he is obviously, like, a dad, you know? Yeah. And he's, you know, middle-aged, which, you know, I, I wouldn't say that he looks middle-aged, but, you know, we know no. we know how old he is. I mean, in the Conjuring movies, they certainly glamorized everyone. Yeah. <laughs> but But, like, here, it's like, well, I know... I've known Patrick Wilson a lot longer than I've known Jason Momoa. And Patrick Wilson, to me, he looks older than Jason Momoa, so I don't believe that he's his younger brother. You, yeah. you can give him an emo haircut all you want. Oh, I know. That wig was something else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, and if we're, you know, there's a lot of younger... Uh, you might have to bleep this. He, he, they could have used younger, someone younger and more assholey. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll keep that. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what's the the young jerk that we were so excited that finally died in Game of Thrones? Oh, Joffrey. Oh, my God. The, him in that role. Mm-hmm. We, it was just not enough, to me, enough petty. Like, I, I don't know. And also, I, Patrick Wilson. Patrick. You're not evil enough, bro. Yeah. Um, one thing I'll say, too. I think they did this on him. I'm not sure, but they did this on a lot of other people. The CGI de-aging in this movie was so distracting. Oh, Willem Dafoe looked weird. Yeah. He looked weird. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure if they even did anything to Nicole Kidman, because Nicole Kidman just still looks radiant, but... I know, and I loved her, like, old lady dreads. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, when they gave her old lady dreads at the end of the movie. I loved it. But, like, even with, like, Tamara Morrison, it's like, that's not what he looks like right now, you know? Everybody. Well, Dolph Lundgren, they made look radiant. And it's like, y'all, we love Dolph Lundgren because of his line, like his character lines. Yeah. And they just erased them. They took what was so interesting about people and we Hollywooded them. Yeah. And like Willem Dafoe is not like I making him younger for the younger scenes when he's training mm. young Arthur. I get that. But what the heck? Yeah. Like let him be older Willem Dafoe. Come on. Yeah, it, it was just it was just distracting to me. And th- here's another thing where I say for everything that I liked as much there's something equally that I did not like. Mm-hmm. A lot I would say probably 50 to 55% of the CGI in this movie I was not on board with. I agree. Uh, and I, I use the Lisa Frank thing a lot, you know, uh, and I think I don't, I know I'm not, I didn't originate that. I'm sure I saw it somewhere before I started thinking, oh, the poster of Aquaman looks like a Lisa Frank folder, you know? It 100% does. But, and um, I'm a huge fan. But like the sharks and the aquarium scene didn't look real. Um, it was okay whenever they were doing like the creatures that were not like, like the, the trench, yeah, like the trench creatures and like the prehistoric alligators that they were all riding on, uh, like that was yeah. fun. But like the sharks, it's like these don't look like sharks. No, and me. that was totally Elisa Frank Orca. Yeah, 
Yeah, the, the orca was so distracting because I, you said you saw other ones. There were lots of other orcas, I but I do, I kind of love that you were like, and then there's this one orca. Well, it's like, I know you weren't there, but uh, for the end of the Meg, uh, at the very, spoiler for the Meg. Um, <laughs> You're a year late, yeah, but okay. After they, after they cut open the Meg's belly and it's dying, all of a sudden... Uh, all like hundreds of sharks and by the way this is within like 200 feet of what's supposed to be the most densely populated beach in all of Southeast Asia or, right um, uh, so like all it's like oh well turns out these are just like hammerhead and great white infested waters that people are swimming in Holy but they, crap. they come up and they start eating the Meg and it looks really fake oh um, that's annoying yeah so so that's kind of what it felt like here for me uh, a lot of the underwater scenes, it was really distracting. Uh, during their, f- during like the first gladiator fight between Patrick Wilson and Jason Momoa, I started lo- losing track of it. It kind of felt like at the end of Wonder Woman when you find out that the uh, sniveling British politician is actually the god of war and I will destroy you. Yes. Uh, and then it just gets like, okay, I don't know where I'm looking anymore. Yes. Now, where I did like what they did is I think they saved their CGI budget all for that last fight because besides the orcas and the sharks, there was a lot of great stuff going on visually in that fight. Yeah, but um, it was also just like a lot of like general Jedi happening in the background. True, but the Julie Andrews monster looked great. I, I will agree with that, but like the big battle I thought was actually not good. Really? Yeah. Mainly because as soon as you get into going up to, what's the place called in Thor in the sky? Asgard. Uh, Yeah. Once you get to Asgardian crap, it's Asgardian crap. Mm -hmm. So you've got these mass battles with hundreds of make-believe things that are obviously not Mm mo-capped. It's all CGI. At least mo-cap has breath to it. Um that's obviously CGI. It's to me, it was irritating. And like in the middle of this battle, they stop and have a big CGI conversation and love fest. And I was like, blah, 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 blah. yeah, well, yeah. Um, like CGI is amazing and we're able to do really amazing things, but then why not make this animated? Yeah. Right. Make it a style other than, Ooh. And it was something that, um, if you haven't listened to our episode, Talking with Daniel Evans, one of the part of the editing team for uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, he was talking about how the thing is to make animation look lifelike. And in our CGI, we're trying to replace humans, but I think we're that film has proved time and time again, you can't. Yeah. You just can't. And it just... Well, everybody kind of felt like they were hanging out in the uncanny valley in this movie. Yeah. Um, so, overall, yeah, I think the CGI was a little bit of a mess. Yeah. Um, I, I, I really liked the fight in the submarine at the beginning, but again, that's because that felt real. Oh, it was great. The choreography was great. Sorry, I'm having... The pig is heavy tonight. Yeah. Is it baby pig? Okay. Oh. And she's just sitting there like, why are you moving? Why are you moving? It's heavy pig. Um... um Agreed, and I thought the choreography was really fun. I liked how they used the space of the submarine, but I really didn't like that storyline. I felt like it was a useless storyline. It introduced us to Manta Ray, again, not accepting the name Black Manta. That's dumb. It's Manta Ray, because his first name is Ray. Um, It gave us this vendetta, and 
you know, Orm is like, yo, Manta Ray, I know you, I know you're mad. We're really good at revenge here. Got it. And immediately was like, what? Well, and that's another thing too. Like I wanted to see the story of how, how Manta Ray discovered the lost city of Atlantis. Was that, but that wasn't him. No, but, but like he was working with them. Uh, oh, happens yeah. to Betsy. That's true. Yeah, he was working with them. So it's like, how did that happen? Let me know how that happened. Yeah, there was a lot of really interesting stuff that could have been this movie. And we could have ended with the discovery he has a half-brother. You know what I mean? Yeah, This. so this movie... And maybe the middle movie finally could have been interesting with this massive battle in it. I don't think that this movie, I would call it tonally all over the place. But I do think that genre-wise, it's all over the place. Yeah, it can't really decide if it's if it wants to be a high concept fantasy or a superhero movie, and so like yeah, it kind of felt like Thor meant DC. But like Thor was the first Thor, the one that Kenneth Branagh did. So good because it is so stylized. Well, and it's basically a Shakespeare movie. It's so good. Yeah, in the scenes in Asgard. I think, and I think that's why they got Kenneth Branagh because they were like, "Look, this is gonna be." And Kevin Feige, you know, whatever you want to say about the Marvel movies, he knows exactly what he wants to accomplish with them. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and honestly, I love living in a world where Black Panther was nominated for Best Picture. I know, isn't that cool? Yeah, um, but like, I I get the feeling that he was like, "Listen, a lot of this movie is gonna take place in Asgard, and it's gonna start. If we're not careful, it's gonna feel like a bad Lord of the Rings ripoff." Yeah. I want to get Kenneth Branagh here because he can he can handle Shakespearean intrigue and make it entertaining. Oh, and he can. It's gonna be great. Yeah, and that's what he did with that movie. Yeah. Um But like this one. It went back and forth from like you know the submarine part, which was just like you know classic superhero movie type thing, yeah, uh, to like going through and like giving us so much backstory and so much exposition all at once. After a while, I would just kind of lean back and I was like, okay, I'm gonna wait till this is over. It's almost like watching a found footage movie where you have to look away from the screen and like get your bearings again and then go back into it. Yeah, I felt that way with backstory and exposition. Uh, I thought that the plot was super muddy in this movie. Yeah, I, I yeah, I'm kind of kind of sticking to my my story right now. If they had allowed it to be an origin story um, for this one and allowed the trench warfare and the official claiming his him as king happen in the second movie, I feel like that would have been a different way to go. Yeah. As opposed to, let's give it all in this first movie, well, and by the second, we're just going to get an, another of the same? Here's the, here's the problem, though, is that DC's really shot themselves in the foot by trying to do what Marvel does and not doing it very well. Um, because now, I don't even know, Wonder Woman's getting her own movie in 2020. I think it was supposed to be 2019, but I think they moved it to 2020. Um I honestly don't know if they're going to give this, besides this next Wonder Woman movie, if they're going to give this round of DC superhero movies, like this universe that they've created, another go. Mm. Because now 
because like Justice League was a mess and you can't blame Justice League being a mess on just like studio stuff because you, you know the story behind one of the reasons why Justice League became such a mess tell us this isn't really entertaining if you want the entertaining version uh, it's because Henry Cavill's mustache uh, had to be CGI that's to true um, if you don't want the non-entertaining version skip ahead a minute or so but Zack Snyder was making it and his daughter killed himself killed herself oh jeez yeah and he tried to keep going and eventually got to the point because his wife is his producer as well Aww. and he uh, he was just like look I tried to throw myself in this movie to try and get through my grief I can't do it I've got to be there for my family right now and, no and, <laughs> yeah no well and all credit due to Warner and DC they were like no you go take care of that like it like they handled it like human beings which is great but they still had a movie that they had to finish so they brought right. in Joss Whedon and just wrong choice well in Justice League it's so tonally all over the place because half of it is Zack Snyder and whatever you want to say about really dark superhero movies uh, Zack Snyder, like I think he's a better filmmaker than the final products of his films tend to be. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think it's bad content. Yeah, but like, so his his take on everything was pretty dark, you know, kind of taking the Nolan darkness and even more so. But then they were they were like, oh well, you know, Guardians and the Avengers, we need to make this lighter and funnier. So they have Joss Whedon come in and redirect scenes and rewrite scenes, and it's just all over the map. Yeah. So the thing is, is that. The technical origin story for Aquaman happens in Batman v Superman. What? Yeah, because uh, because basically throughout this whole time, and it was a big problem with Batman v Superman. It would have been a stronger movie if they hadn't tried to do this, but they were trying to use that as an origin story for the Justice League. So like at one point, right, the way Bruce Wayne gets uh, Wonder Woman to fight the final battle with him is he's like... I know what you actually are. Here are other people like us. And there's like a video clip of the of the Flash doing something. There's a video clip of Cyborg. And then there's a video clip of like these divers going into a wrecked hull. And then Aquaman comes out and then just like zooms past them. So they That's not an origin story. Well, that's how they introduce them. And no. then they go straight from that into Justice League, which just fell apart. But here's the thing though. Why can't it be a standalone. Sure, you've introduced them, but it doesn't have to follow that timeline. Well, because they were so they were so they were so jazzed to get Justice League out as fast as they could to compete with Marvel that they rushed into that. So here's the thing: was what I'm saying is that I don't think that they're. I would be very surprised if they're going to keep this Aquaman and this Wonder Woman going past maybe Wonder Woman's next sequel and Aquaman's next sequel because Affleck's already out as Batman. Um, I don't blame him. Yeah, which sucks because his his Bruce Wayne is actually one of the better Bruce Waynes. I I stand by that. Uh, the first the first ten fifteen minutes of Batman v Superman, he's great in it, and it's a really powerful piece of filmmaking there. But he he dropped out, and you know he was supposed to originally write, direct, and star in the next standalone Batman movie, and he's just like, look, I tried to crack it. We I had a really good screenwriter, and I just couldn't hit it, so we're gonna give it to somebody else, and I'm excited to see what they do. Uh, it looks like Army Hammer is going to be the next uh, Batman. Veto. Uh, but they're also doing the Joker movie that's coming up this oh, year. Oh, God. That's with Joaquin Phoenix. No. So what they're doing now is they have like, oh, well, here's the DC universe, but now here's our series of movies that's going to be all just independent standalone movies. And it's just, it's just an absolute mess. All because they couldn't, they felt like they had to compete with Marvel. And what people don't understand, like, of course, now we're t we're 10 years and 20 movies into the Marvel movies. Oh, my God. 
But like what people forget, it's like what you mentioned earlier is that they just started off by doing Iron Man and Iron Man was its own thing. And then they started off by doing Thor and Thor was its own thing and they were loosely connected. But they didn't, if they went into it thinking that, oh, we're going to make, we're going to eventually go into the Infinity War with the Avengers, they hid that very well. well. And DC went into it immediately being like, yes, how can we build up to Justice League? Well, and the thing that makes me not be on superhero movies is the fact that now, that right now, everything's endgame, endgame, endgame. And that's exhausting. And this felt like, I just, you know, why can't the standalone movies be the standalone movies? If there's things that influence the, you know, Team America part, then great. But if not, let it be different storylines. It's treating the audience like we're dumb. And then profiteers well if you don't see this it won't make sense no it's not true because your screenwriting's not that good i've not seen all the movies you know what i can follow your stupid plot lines because i can see right through it so dear executives get over yourselves it's exhausting just make good movies i felt transported in parts of this that's why we go see movies yeah this was not a great movie but it transported me. It took me some places. And here's, here's the thing, what it all boils down to is sometimes it is asking too much for a movie that you go see to be a great movie, right? 100%. What's not asking too much is that you go see a movie and you don't feel like you wasted your time. Well, that if it we took did- me away. So it's tax season right now. Mm-hmm. We're in the middle of corporate incorporating. We're doing all this real live crap. We work on movies. Working on a movie is not magical. It's really hard work. It's like going to normal work, right? Yeah. When you sit down in the movie theater, you know, we were, this was talk, Christopher Nolan talked about this after the shooting, um, after um, Dark Knight was released, is you go to the movies because it's a safe place. Yeah. You go, the lights go down, you're sitting in a squashy chair, you're not at home, the, the normal everyday things are not yelling at you. You put your phone away, unless you're in our line of work, and it's like when we sometimes have to go to the movies and it's the middle on a Tuesday, and you're like, oh crap, I have to look at my phone. But for the most part, you put your phone away, you forget what you're mad at for a minute, and you're transported. Mm -hmm. And we got to go to Italy today. We got to go to somewhere that was very tropical. We got to see dinosaurs in in an evening. That's why we go see movies. And... Yes, we sit back critically and look at it and go, look at all the white dudes. Yeah. But at the end of the day, we I had a couple moments where I got transported. And that's awesome. And I really wish that there were, for all these superhero movies, why can't they transport us, especially on our own Earth? And instead of like, I don't, like, I don't care about all these other planets necessarily. I cared because in Guardians, that was their home. Yeah. And they established it, so it made me on board. Mm-hmm. But again, we we care about the relationships that are created, even in these superhero worlds. And when they make it about something that has nothing to do with me as a human being watching these, that's when my eyes roll. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And where I was going with all of that is that even though we didn't think this was a great movie, we enjoyed ourselves yeah and we didn't feel like we wasted our time something like holmes and watson if we didn't have the podcast to do afterwards i would have been like we wasted our time have left yeah 
Yeah, and that's and we've even talked about that too. We were like, should we just leave? And we were like, no, because we have to do the episode now. Yes, and so, it would not be would be bad um, movie journalism if we didn't give you all the facts. Well, and the good news is that for us, we no longer feel like we're wasting our time in a bad movie because we're like, oh, this is going to be fun. Oh, right. Um, but but yeah, like I think that this movie missed a lot of his a lot of its marks. But the marks that it hit, it hit really solid. Yeah, and I think overall we've really had overall very positive things to say um you know i just i think i just wish that as action filmmakers and you know and i work with a lot of action filmmakers who are making really great original content but when it comes to these multi-billion dollar movies i wish that they could take a look at the people who are making independent work Mm -hmm. and the creative stuff and material that's coming out, and I wish they would just look at it and go, oh. Well, and some of them are doing that, and the ones that do that well are, uh, they're the ones who are succeeding the best. For example, I remember, at least at the time, and for like a year afterwards, when we saw Captain America Winter Soldier, you really liked that movie. Oh, the fight choreography in that is insane. And that was done by the Russo brothers who got their start directing episodes of Arrested Development and Community. And Kevin didn't remember that. Yeah. And their episodes of Community, like they did like the paintball episodes, which are super stylized and like actually a lot of fun. Uh, they do. They did one that was a two-parter that starts off as a western, and they're like, "Nope, westerns over. We're going into Star Wars now." That's funny. But like, they found these basically independent directors, and like, yeah, let's see what they can do with this. And they did the same thing with Ryan Coogler for Black Panther. They saw him do Fruitvale Station, which is a powerful movie, and then they saw him do Creed, and it's like, you know what? Let's give him Black Panther. Right. Um. And so those are the ones that are most successful. And James Wan definitely earned his place into doing what he's doing. And I think that's maybe another, just to make another tab in your in your point, is James Wan, I think, was successful. Yeah. You know, let's take someone who knows how to build a moment and give him this movie. And it was yeah. really successful. And they didn't make James Wan not be James Wan. Right. They still allowed him, again, to for the trench sequence, which I honestly think the trench sequence is probably one of the highlights of the movie. I agree. Um, it's really scary. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, James Wan just, in general, gets a lot of love on our podcast. Yes. Um, I am on board to watch anything he does. And I thought that his Fast and the Furious movie was, movie was probably one of the strongest ones, too. Which one did he do? Uh, Furious 7. Oh, 7 was funny. Yeah. Seven was really fun, you know? Yeah, seven's Where The Rock flexes his way out of his arm cast and shoots down a helicopter with a minigun. Absolutely ridiculous, yeah. but yes. Um, no, I agree. And I think he he earned his place. He earned this opportunity. Um, I just wish... I feel like the problems always start from a script. Mm-hmm. And the script went somewhere we knew exactly where it's going to go. And not to say that's a bad thing, because sometimes we want what's expected. We like to be safe. However, there were some opportunities to take a couple of left turns Mm -hmm. that could have been really fun. Well, what I will say, though, is that if they had kept this basic plot line and added any more left turns, I don't think I would have been able to follow it. Well, what I mean by a left turn is... Why did it have? Why did he have to be a king in this one? You know, there's there's going to be another one. There was so many cliffhangers. Manta yeah. Ray is coming back. You you know, like and and by the way, not calling him his actual name. I that's on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, I I just think 
Uh, by the way, Manta Ray looked like a Power Rangers villain in this movie. Oh my gosh, and he wa- it was bad. Yeah, again, that's the costume design. It was the costume design of this movie overall was not good. No, I agreed, I agreed, agreed. <laughs> but it just felt like it. It I I feel like it would have been stronger if it was Manta Ray kind of versus Aquaman mm-hmm. that turns into this. It's like this on land thing that all of a sudden isn't anymore you know like I I just feel like it had no element of surprise yeah um yeah the the script overall was really weak and to be fair too there aren't many ways where you can say no you will call me ocean master and have that not sound cringeworthy you know it was cringeworthy it was yes and again I just don't think Patrick Wilson is evil enough yeah and it would be different if they were treating him kind of like Killmonger and Black Panther, where it's like, you know, oh, this this dude's the bad guy, but you can understand his reasoning behind it. You know, but whenever it's like the whenever the bad guy's motivation is just a power struggle and a power grab, then it's like you gotta have somebody who's evil enough to do it. And also what doesn't make sense to me, and we talked about this in the middle of the movie, and I understand your logic, but like to me, Aquaman isn't the rightful heir because he's He's a half breed. He's half, you know, he's half man, half water magical person. I don't know what they are. Atlantan water bug. <laughs> There's a water bug on my channel changer. Um, whereas Orm is from the king and queen. Yes, Jason Momoa is first born, but or Arthur but he's not the firstborn of the king. And this is obviously not a matriarchal society. Right. It is obviously not. So it is a patriarchal society. So mama's first baby don't count. And so I don't understand why we were fighting. Yeah, I mean, that's a moment where I'm like, this movie doesn't doesn't well, need that much in-depth thinking. I know, but it bothers me. Like, I, the whole time I was like, why are y'all fighting? Like, okay, so Jason Momoa has more, more charisma and has like, bigger abs is that why he got the tri- the triton uh sure trident yeah the spearmint gum I, so I actually now that you say that i don't know if i've been calling it a triton or trident this whole episode ah <laughs> 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 uh, oh, delightful well oh this pig is heavy tonight mm-hmm. it's pink I think I think we're yeah I think we're in a place where like we usually get we don't stop because we're running out of things to say we stop because we start talking in circles yes and overall so okay audience I heard that today I was listening to the latest Thug Kitchen episode and they mm-hmm. called it the audience and I was like mm, stealing so thank you Matt and Michelle um, which go by their book Thug Kitchen it's great it makes very good recipes. Anywho, uh, so audience, uh, Jordan, tell the audience, should they go see this movie if they haven't already? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's definitely worth your time. I wouldn't go into it with super high expectations, especially like if you were a fan of Black Panther. Don't go in thinking it's going to be Black Panther. Yeah. And this movie really wants to be Black Panther in a lot of ways. You think so? Yeah, I, I think that just like Justice League was set up to be like their version of the Avengers... I think this movie was kind of set up to be their version of Black Panther. It did not work. No. So, like, don't think it's going to be as deep or as gripping as Black Panther was. 
But I think that it's an enjoyable movie. And I think, you know, like we said before, you're going to know if this is going to be a movie that you like. You know, it's a it's a big superhero movie that's dumber than it should be in a few places, but smarter than you expect it to be in a lot of other places. It is surprisingly DC. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would say definitely go see it. I don't necessarily see myself raring to watch this one again. Uh, if it was on... I might watch it if I'm cooking or doing dishes and it's and Netflix gets it then I might put it on. That's fair. But I don't think that I would be like like I've been wanting to go back and rewatch Black Panther lately. You know, I've been wanting to go back and rewatch Avengers Infinity War just because, you know, we're about to get into Endgame and I want to refresh myself on it. There's a lot of garbage that happens so it's important to refresh. Ugh, you are impossible. Um, I also need to rewatch it. I'm not looking forward to that either. I'm barely looking forward to the Avengers episode with you. (laughs) Hateful. Um, But no, like this one, I don't think is the best superhero movie they've made. Uh, I definitely don't think it's the worst. I would say go watch it. Uh, Just know what you're getting into. I agree. I would say go watch this. Um, To me, this kind of felt like Doctor Strange. I had a good time in Doctor Strange. I have no care to see it again. I will say that Doctor Strange is a much better movie than this one was, though. I agree, but I, but I, but I, but I also there's things about this one. Doctor Strange really didn't take me anywhere that I gave a crap about. Mm-hmm. This one did. <clears throat> I got to see some cool things. I got the stunts. There's some stunt sequences that are absolutely incredible. This is totally going to be nominated for best high work for Taurus. All right, so for let me, 2019. Let me ask you this then. Sure. Uh, give me three things because we've spent a lot of the. You know, like we normally do, we spend most of the episode kind of talking about things we didn't like. Give me three things in this movie that you're like, oh, I really liked that. Um, I really love the places on Earth we traveled to. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole Sicily scene. Yeah. Like that whole part of the movie, I loved. Yeah. And honestly, Amber Heard was good in that scene, oh, too. Oh, great. And yeah. their stunt doubles, wow. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that that chase scene in there. Oh, there's going to be some hardest hit. There's some Taurus gold mm-hmm. going into that. It's it had, great. I will say it had one of the cleverest toilet jokes I've seen in a movie too. And I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. And I don't usually go for 12-year-old boy humor. Thus I don't like Thor Ragnarok. Uh-huh. Um like literally was like put your head in the toilet. Please do that. Yeah. And it was like, "Yes, you can breathe again." I'm so happy right now because bad guy breathing in toilets. It's funny. Um, I loved the love scene uh, or the, like the love story that wasn't the stupid one with Amber and uh, with Mina, Marina, Myrna, Ariel, mm-hmm. <laughs> and Arthur. Um, I didn't like that. But the one with Nicole Kidman and... Um, Tamara Morrison? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I loved like, that. I did like that. I liked him a lot in this movie. I thought he was great. Yeah. He was understated. He was right. He he was a dad who was happy to see his son again. And he lived his life. He yeah. manned the lighthouse. And he took pride in his work. And he had a good life. And missed his wife. You know? Like, it felt very grounded and real. And another thing that made me like this movie. Mm-hmm. You know? It, ground, it made me feel like I should give a crap. Yeah. Um, that's two things. Yeah, you have one more. Um, I really, oh, heavens to Betsy. Uh, peak. Okay. Um, sorry for all the dog drama. Um, the other thing, um, uh, I didn't, I, I'm thinking about how I didn't like 
the connection to Earth. Like we kept being like, if they know Atlantis is real, we would see it all over the news. So it was a disconnect with like the news, the guy who was on the news being an Atlantis mm. like expert. Like I didn't buy any of that in that story. Um, in general, I liked acting wise how important families were to each other yeah like you could totally get like familial connection um and i felt like each branch of mermaid and i'm using that very generally uh underwater water people underwater underwater people um i felt like each clan had a deep care for them for each other and i felt that Mm. um and i definitely felt the caring hand of james wan like i felt like a lot of the moments that were precious and made you kind of slow down and care were very good directing. Yeah. Uh, the three things I will say I liked, and I'll try and pick things that you didn't pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, cinematography. Overall, um, great. I liked the one on Earth. The underwater was like... Right. The The underwater cinematography I don't care as much. Uh, although the shot where it was the wide shot of them swimming underwater and the trench creatures chasing them. Oh, again, the trench scene well, is undeniably great. Yeah. Um, but especially the especially the camera work in the fight scenes in Sicily and at the very beginning in the loved White House. loved yeah. the 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 cinematography for the for the action yeah above water was great yeah and and that's a great collaboration between James Wan and his DP you Agreed. know I they both have equal credit to that James Wan had to have the vision and his DP had to have the skill and the understanding well, and I and give all the credit to the world. I feel like too the camera team on this really knew what they were knew the story they were telling. Yeah. And that was clear. Um I thought Jason Momoa was great. Oh, just great. Yeah, I he kind of has the same type of thing as like The Rock where or Kurt Russell for that matter which is just like yeah I want to watch him and stuff I want to watch him be cool and stuff you know well and I you know just seeing the behind the scenes you kind of get that he gets the role mm-hmm. like he got it you, me or you couldn't have played that role oh, God. yes we as human beings are fish like when I was in Indonesia somebody commented being like wow you're really a fish like I'm in the water and you and I both are anytime we're, and we're always going to the beach. Yeah. We didn't grow up on an island. No. We didn't grow up with this same cohabitation with the sea. We just happened to be born landlocked. And you could tell that Jason Momoa knew what this role meant. Yeah. Uh, the third thing I will say about this movie is that I thought the music was great. Yeah. Um, I can hear it. Yeah, there were a few places where I could tell that they threw synthesizers in there just because it's in vogue. And like, I'm a. Oh, like the chase scene on the roof? Well, yeah, and like, you know, how like the orchestra would fade out and it would be like the sequence do 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 type of thing. And like, you know, I love synthesizers. And I just finished a horror movie score that was 90% synthesizers. So like, I'm never going to turn down hearing synth in a film score. Right. But like, the Greggs and Williamses which there's Rupert who did this movie and Harry who does a, he like he's done a lot of other stuff. I think they were both uh Han, students of Hans Zimmer. Uh and Harry like he did uh he did Lion Witch and Wardrobe. Oh okay. Um but like they're mostly known for doing really good orchestral scores. Right. And I could tell a couple places where it's like oh they're just throwing synths in here because it's marketable. But I still liked it. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. So I think with all of that being said, I think Aquaman is a go-see. And 
if you are ever on the same page with us, you're going to roll your eyes in points. Um, we did have a lot of co-commentary kind of happening at any given point. Um, like you, we, you and I were like just sitting and commenting to each other and laughing at a lot of points. So I think if you don't mind a little cynicism with yourself, um, but the movie does give you moments to forgive it, yeah. which is nice. But it, yes, it's not great. I don't think I'll ever see it again. Yeah, if I don't see it again, I won't be disappointed. Yeah. But if I, if I do see it again, it's not like I'm going to be like, oh, I have to sit through this slog again. Agreed. I would just make sure that I have something else to do as well. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. All right. Well, uh, we have a couple of ideas for our next couple of episodes. I know uh, if you're listening this way in the future, this doesn't mean anything. But for those of you who are uh, early subscribers, I know this is coming a little late. Sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, life happens, and we don't always hit our Thursday goal. Yeah. But... And, uh, and it's really, um, for those of you in entertainment, you are feeling the heat of this time of year. It's tax season in America. And when you're a professional freelancer, as we are, the amount of tax work one has to do to get to one's accountant is magnificent. Yeah. Um, and we are in the middle of creating a lot of new things, including rebranding our entire production company. Mm -hmm. So thank you for your patience and thank you for being with us all the same. Yeah. Is there anything specific that you want to pitch before we go, Jess? Not really. Um, you know, we have, we're working on websites. Mm -hmm. So, um, our new production company will try to be a little bit more official about it. But um, we've, you know, we've produced some things, so those will be still under our genre and our label. Um, but we're in the midst, too, of pre-production for another short. And Jordan, you're working a lot on a lot of things. And then... Yeah, I've taken up on some of our shorts now. Uh, not only am I doing all the uh, music and audio, now I'm kind of editing them as well. So. Yeah. And for those of you um, who also don't work in film, so... We are in the first decade of our careers. And in film, that means you're not necessarily getting, you know, we're not James Wan yet. And yeah. so you work, keep working and working and working and writing and making and writing and making because it's essentially practice for the big job. Yeah. So, um, and I've had the great pleasure of working on a very, a couple big features this year mm -hmm. and um, being on some TV shows. So those take a lot of, you know, those keep the lights on. Um, so that's good. So we have a lot of things going on right now. Unfortunately, due to NDAs, we can't tell you. No, but I, if, and as the year goes on, we'll inevitably let them slip in conversation after they've been released. Um, well, and once we have enough distance to be like, I worked on that. Yeah. But you have to give it distance. People are so weird about things. Yeah. I don't really have anything specific to pitch except just to watch out for the stuff that we're doing. And, you know, we'll have that up on our Instagram and Facebook and links and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, I just finished working uh, on a horror movie doing all the sound design, mixing, and music that I'm looking forward to seeing getting some, getting some festivals. Yeah. Uh, I just booked another couple of gigs that I'm going to be down here writing music for. Uh, I'm hoping that I can do something a little more orchestral now because I'm afraid that I'm starting to get too deep into soundscapes that I'm forgetting how to write for strings. That's so. fair. Um, and um, 
just thank you for your patience. Thank you for constantly being with us. Um, for those of you who listen every week, we love, love, love hearing from you. Please never forget to um, subscribe, uh, leave us reviews. We do take those to heart. Um, hopefully you're noticing that on our social media. Um, we've got really, really big things planned this year, including an expansion, just general expansion of everything that we do. And we're very excited to not only be able to expand our brand, but to welcome others, um, in it. So if you are a filmmaker yourself, um, definitely reach out. But also if you are interested in making a podcast or if you're a voiceover artist or you're a recording artist, we're about to be able to take care of you a lot better. Um, and very, very excited to continue to work as filmmakers and keep keep grow keep ever growing and that all being said thank you for coming with us today thank you so much if you watch aquaman thank you for supporting movies um that's the biggest thing get yourself to the theater go to that safe place go where the lights turn down and you can be go and escape somewhere else and and if you totally disagree with us we're so supportive of that and hopefully you're enjoying continuing to get to the theater and enjoy movies and some time away from the normal everyday screen yeah and inundated with story so that being said shall we sign off i think we should well i'm jess i'm jordan and thanks for joining us at date night at the movies all right we'll see you guys soon